Good afternoon. Oh, you guys, you must have been at all the sessions this morning. Good afternoon. <laughs> Welcome to reInvent. So excited uh, for this session today and for this panel. Uh, my name is Francesca Vasquez. I'm the director of Solutions Architecture and champion of inclusion and diversity within Amazon Web Services. And today, uh, to make sure you're in the right session, we will be covering off on our We Power Tech, addressing intersectionality in tech, and we'll talk about that. It's part of our diversity series and our We Power Tech initiative within AWS, where we are seeking to create initiatives and programs to help build strong tech skills in many communities that are underrepresented. And I'm so ecstatic that you're gonna hear from our very, very amazing panel and their experiences. And we're also going to challenge you to be thinking about diversity and inclusion beyond just women. It's great to see the men in the room. Men, please give yourself a round of applause. It's fantastic. And to just set the context before I have the panel introduce themselves, uh, how many of you, just by show of hands, are familiar with the intersectionality framework? So there's a few people in the room, many of you are not. So intersectionality is basically a framework that was introduced in the late 80s by an activist named Kimberly Crenshaw. And the premise is that it seeks to look at um, oppression and um, other is isms around people that are in two or more sort of groups. So think of uh, people that are perhaps, uh, that are women and that are maybe black. Oh, that's kind of me. Uh, and other different characteristics that you have. And then looking at how you create counter strategies so people feel more inclusive um, in their environments. And you're gonna hear about that today. So it's very fascinating. Um, area, and it's a very keen area around being able to be effective with diversity and inclusion with many of the companies that you're from. So um, before I forget, if you are um, able to share your experiences, we have a social channel. You can hashtag WePowerTech um, if you learn or want to share uh, any insights that you have here today. So with that, let me let the panel introduce themselves, and then we can get started. So, Miles, well, how about you introduce yourself and tell us maybe why intersectionality is important for you. Hi, so I'm Miles Friedman. I am currently um, Director of Technical Operations for ActBlue. And um, the reason intersectionality is important to me is I just, I feel like um, diversity is just important in an organization. It's important to have a, a variety of viewpoints. It's important to get... Uh, input from people from different backgrounds because they come up with creative solutions to solve problems and also if your customer base is diverse as many of ours are it's important that you have people building and working on your products that are also diverse that reflect that population and which is kind of how I feel about politics as well which is you know why I've been drawn to Act Blue, which I've only been at for a couple of months now but has a mission I'm really passionate about. Hi, uh, my name is Rupa Ganesh. I read the AWS practice and work at Accenture India. Um, India is a very diverse country. Um, you know, we have states that almost are like different countries within, within the same country, right? So 
Um, ensuring regional and geographic inclusion is, is an aspect of uh, intersectionality and um, inclusion that I've been personally very close to. Um, also, my own personal journey uh, makes me connect to this because um, I'm based out of one of the relatively smaller centers of Accenture in India. And if I've uh, come as far as this stage, I think it's thanks to the inclusion and the inclusive policies of Accenture. So I'm very honored to be part of this panel, and I do connect very strongly to this topic. Hi, everybody. My name is Tanu. I'm a director at Capital One and an architect role. And the reason this topic is important to me is I've always been fascinated by both technology and history. And as technology evolves at an unprecedented scale, I believe that we as a society also have the opportunity to involve. Hi, my name is Keisha Williams. I am a software engineering manager with a company called Chick-fil-A. And this topic is very important to me because of my own personal experiences of working in IT for the last 23 years. So I'm just very passionate about increasing diversity in technology. And then also, I've seen where diversity can help us build better systems. So that's why it's important to me. That's right. I'll be signing. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm honored to be here. Thank you, Francesca. Uh, my name is Brandon Marin. Uh, you see me signing, of course, uh, because I'm deaf, and I have my interpreter in the front row. Um, I work with a tech startup called Wavio. I am the chief uh, procurement officer, and uh, I'm here because diversity has a lot to do with my deaf identity, and my team is all deaf. So we have, you know, we we see a lot of have faced a lot of oppression, but going through that, we've uh, been, uh, learned a lot of lessons, and so. My team, uh, our number one mission is to encourage uh, more deaf people to work in tech and to see the diversity there. So I'm um, looking forward to the discussion we'll have today. Great, thank you so much, Brandon. Thank all of you for being here today. So one of the topics that we've been exploring in the industry is looking at the impact of technology with intersectionality, and then also looking at what different companies and organizations are doing around diversity and inclusion. And a lot of times we hear that companies are starting with um, things like unconscious bias to be able to counter some of the isms. And those isms include things like racism or sexism or ageism, right? Oftentimes you don't hear that being talked about. So um, I'd like to start with you maybe, Miles, in terms of your experience. And you know, are things like unconscious bias, is that even enough? I mean, I, I think it's a start. I think that um, there's more complexity today around um, diversity, particularly with the younger generation. You've, you've got sort of gender fluidity. There's, there's nomenclature around that. There's, there's you know, pronouns around that that you have to know. And, and even being part of the uh, LGBT community, I'm not 100% versed in it, and, and it's, it's always a learning experience for me. So um, you need to sort of be sensitive beyond just your standard um, sort of sensitivity training into these, these more advanced areas. But I think the more, sort of for me, the more important thing that I've seen at other organizations prior to the, to the one I'm at now, and probably the one before that, which was, which was better, but is, is trying to sort of um, bolt diversity onto an organization that maybe doesn't have a culture that's designed to support it. So 
Um, I, I look at it a lot like building a DevOps culture where DevOps is a culture, not a job description. And people in boardrooms everywhere are like, we need to do this DevOps thing. Let's hire three DevOps engineers. I'll use air quotes a lot, so forgive me. <laughs> um, and I feel like diversity, you probably see the same thing happening where it's, we need a diversity manager. So let's like go get one. But, but without really deeply caring about it at the top, pushing it down from the top, and of course having diversity at the top really helps in my experience, right? If, if you've got a very homogenous organization, it's, it's, a, it's a longer road. Um, but, but sort of, of, of getting that to permeate and to change the culture takes a lot of effort more than just having an HR person that has, has a little bit of this as part of you know, her job function or his job function. Um, to really, really making an effort to sort of get an organization where, where it should be, in my opinion. Great. Um, Keisha, I'd like to pivot to you. You mentioned you're very passionate about this area. What are some of the things that you're doing to counter uh, these isms around intersectionality? Well, I definitely try to model the diversity and inclusive behavior. You know, as a leader, it's my responsibility to show my team how I want them to be. And so I'm able to lead hackathons. And so when I think about building that team, I think about diversity. So I include African Americans, I include Asian Americans, I include women, I include junior developers, I include senior developers. So really just trying to model that behavior. Great. Brandon, what about from your perspective? Sure. You know, there's really many ways we can address diversity, uh, but one, you know, we think we ne really need to look at our diversity. Today, we look at diversity as a quota. Um, as was mentioned by Miles, we just try to bring something in and we pat each other on the back and say, we're now diverse. Um, it's really a cultural thing that you need to work on, how we improve communication and respect. One thing I do with my team, uh, you know, we are mostly white males, which is, can be fine, but uh, we oftentimes, you know, if we feel that they're uh, maybe oppressing other groups just uh, from their own bias, we need to be honest with that. It's not something that we have to be afraid of and, and hide. You know, we want to be transparent and to discuss these things. It's okay to make a mistake. Uh, you know, the system has already prepared us to approach uh, these problems in a certain way, and sometimes we have to relearn that. And so uh, I really try to train our team to, to look for ways we can improve, and we've seen that, um, and how we can build relationships with other companies and other communities as well, and really learning and being transparent with that. Yeah, I think that's good feedback. We were chatting. Um, and there's men here, and we've had a lot of white males express interest in getting educated. Miles, you were speaking about this. Do you want to offer kind of your, your comments and perspective around what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, being a white male, I feel like, despite the fact that I am, you know, I'm gay and Jewish, I feel like probably I've been in a white male bubble my whole life to some degree. So I do have to, you know, learn from people who are... are in you know, what I consider more diverse categories than me, people of color, women, um, and listen and sort of, sort of be aware of, of that. I think that, that um, one of the things in tech, particularly in smaller tech organizations, that I feel would be the thing that would affect me most of all is more my age at this point. So you know, I'm pushing 50, and, and you know, working in these small tech organizations, you always feel like, 
Um, they're very sort of youth-centric, and so I, I think people who work in larger organizations, maybe that's not the case. Um, but that's, that's sort of an element that, of ism that maybe people don't think about all the time, that that is where, you know, puts you into a category that, you know, discrimination or being treated differently might occur. Yeah, great. Uh, Sindhu, what about um, from you? You mentioned that you're with uh, Capital One today. Can you kind of talk about your experience uh, with the audience in terms of the isms that either you've experienced or that you're trying to help counter in your role today? Sure. So I think, as you mentioned, there, there's quite a few. Um, I just want to take a step back, though, and share something from my uh, personal story, which is um, my children are learning socio-emotional awareness at their school through something called conscious discipline. And there's a parallel in conscious discipline to an agile or DevOps culture um, that I've experienced firsthand. And that parallel is to view others with positive intent and empathy. And if you do that, it allows you to be aware of what may be your unconscious biases and be able to give others the benefit of the doubt. And the empathy allows you to really understand where their perspective is grounded in. And in the places I've been, the cultures that allow you to do that are the cultures where you have the best collaboration and the most creative problem solving. That's great. Um, what about you, Rupa? So I, um, you know, again, sharing my personal experience. So I, um, you know, moved from one of um, Accenture's biggest centers, biggest offices in India, to a relatively smaller office. But I was fortunate because, uh, you know, the inclusive policies of my company and um, we have our one global network, which ensures equal opportunities for all. That kind of enabled me um, to make that personal move due to my personal preference without ever having to trade off on or give up on career opportunities. And I think, you know, when I think of diversity and inclusion, um, it's also a payback for me because if I've been able to, um, you know, benefit from this, it's also something I want to give back to the larger audience, right? So to include as, um, you know, as many people of different castes, creed, color, et cetera, in my team as, my, as I grow my practice. You know, there was a, someone mentioned earlier the notion of um, just recruiting. So is recruiting all we really need to, to do to be able to drive more representation? People have said that if you can't really see it, then you can't solve it. So what are some of the things that you're doing relative to recruiting, and is, is that enough to help drive some of the change? Recruiting is one aspect of it, but I think, um, you know, we've got to live the inclusive culture. So um, in, in Accenture, our um, initiative is called Inclusion and Diversity. So inclusion comes before anything else, regardless of who you are or where you are from or you know, what you do. Um, you get treated equally. You get access to equal opportunities. And, and that's really um, you know, the kind of culture that's embedded into our fabric all across. Um, we recently uh, had our Accenture AWS annual day in India, where people both from Accenture as well as uh, Amazon India were involved. And we announced a few very, um, you know, key skilling up initiatives, offering flexible um, ways of learning to people who need that flexibility. So skilling up is another area where we're really focused on getting people certified in skilling up. And while um, we see that 
this kind of a flexibility is typically needed by women, such as women that are on maternity leave or returning back from maternity leave. The initiative itself is very inclusive in its form. So if a man is going on a paternity leave or an extended paternity leave or taking leave of absence for, say, family reasons, he qualifies just as much for this initiative as much as women do. Great. Brandon, I want to go back to you on the recruiting because you mentioned your team. How do you go about uh, even just attracting um, different folks from that community for your team? What do you do? Um, just to clarify, my startup is pretty new, so we I don't have much experience with recruiting, but yeah. the, the experience that I do have, and, and as you mentioned, it's not just for recruiting, as Rupa said, but mm -hmm. how to get people involved in the community. And so what can I get out of my job? Uh, I need to go out and meet the community to become self-aware and know of my culture. Um, and then that way, going through that route, you meet a lot of people who are ready for that. Um, you know, the, our community, um, is pretty small, it's not open. You really have to be there um, and meet them. So our team, off, we have our own community involvement. And from that, we're able to find more diversity within each of those pockets. So we really have to think outside of our job and really be, have it become our lifestyle, live and meet the community where they're at. Um, it takes a lot of time, but you know that's something that needs to be done and needs to be thought about. Yeah. And Keisha, in your role as a software development manager, how are you getting input from the various underrepresented groups on your team? So we can go back to the recruiting process. Mm -hmm. So during recruiting, I always feel that it's important if you're trying to recruit diverse talent to actually have that talent see diversity in the interview process mm -hmm. and then have those diverse people that did the interviewing to speak into who gets hired. And so that's a way to have those diverse candidates really speak, well, have the people that did the interviewing to speak into that and have a voice. And so I do believe in the recruiting process, it's very important to have that diversity really on both sides. Okay. Any others that have uh, experiences or best practices you can share around how you drive input from underrepresented groups within your teams or your peers? I mean, I just want to sort of second that statement. I've, I've found as well that make sure if you are bringing in diverse candidates that they see that you have some diversity, right, in your organization. And even if that person um, doesn't talk specifically about diversity, just talking to an engineer that is a diverse person to a candidate sends a message, I think. What about countering the unconscious bias, which is what we see uh, the industry and a lot of other companies really focusing on to, to tackle diversity and inclusion? What's been your experience in countering some of the biases that exist? I'll start with you, Rupa, and then um, Tanu. I think um, you know when we talk of social bias or social evils, I think technology is a great enabler to fight such things. Uh -huh. And um, you know, building technology solutions for these underrepresented groups is one of the areas we are focusing on at this point. And um, a classic example is right here at reInvent, because our Accenture booth at reInvent is showcasing um, a solution called Sanketik, which has been built by a team in Accenture India. And this solution is actually a tech-for-good solution built on AWS, which um, 
allows consumption of videos by people that are challenged with hearing, uh, you know, have hearing problems. So I think, um, you know, this is a classic example of how technology can solve a problem and focus on, you know, a certain underrepresented section of the society. And when we, um, you know, started looking at nominations for reInvent from India, there were tens of nominations that came in from, you know, client stories, client-facing stories, commercial areas, etc. But I think as practice leadership, we still prioritized Sanketik as um, one, of, one of the solutions that we most definitely wanted on our um, Accenture booth here, so that you know, we kind of showcase what we are doing from a tech for good perspective. Great. So I think it's a human trait to have bias. And the reason I say that is we are each of us shaped by our unique experiences and backgrounds. And it's about kind of understanding and having the awareness of others in order to shape a perspective that is unbiased. And so one thing I think that Capital One um, does well in this area is we have a number of groups. Uh, for example, Women in Technology is one, one that I happen to belong to. But there's a number of groups based on various characteristics of persons of varying ability. And I personally have been able to learn about other groups um, which for me has been an educational experience and I'm sure for others as well. But I think just increasing awareness and having that education to be able to form an educated perspective is really important. Yeah, so I have a really quick story. Uh, right before I came over to this session, we were doing uh, an executive briefing for a customer and we were presenting on our Hadoop strategy a roadmap in a private setting and I was uh, with our engineering team and the general manager, and I'll, oh, the customer will remain nameless. And we do the meeting, and after the meeting, uh, one of the account owners of this customer walked up and handed me, uh, here are all the actions for you to, to take back and just email me the presentation. Uh, it's great to meet you, admin. <laughs> I don't know if anyone in the room is an admin, so um, definitely don't want to offend the admins. But I thought it was just interesting, the bias, and I was actually one of the subject matter experts in the room, uh, helping to define what the actual roadmap strategy was. And so just to your point, it's, I think, human nature, and sometimes people um, may not even know that it's happening, but that was just right before this session here at reInvent uh, that just happened to me personally. Uh, I'd like to pivot because, Rupa, you talked about technology. And many of the folks in this audience, they're a, a form of builders, whether they're advanced in Amazon or other platforms, but generally a technologist here. Um, how do you see the impact of technology with some of these um, intersectionality kind of biases that exist? How do we prevent technology from creating the wrong outcome. Right. I think, um, you know, like I said, technology is a great enabler. And cloud and AWS are at the foundation of almost everything we do today, whether it's AI or data or architecture, et cetera. So anything we build in this space um, can go a long way, make a lot of difference. Um, you know, so I think one of the things um, which, which I would focus on as a takeaway from this session is that um, just, just like we have, uh, you know, commercially, 
commercially, um, you know, um, client-facing um, solutions or commercially viable solutions. The tech for good is an area which I think is still um, underrepresented or, you know, it, it's not given its due. I think as practitioners, as technologists, we all have that power in our hands to think about what we can do with the solution, how we can build a solution that kind of, um, you know, similar to Sanketik that we are showcasing. How can we have something that benefits that section of a society? Yeah. Keisha, what about from your perspective? I know that you've mentioned you focused on AI and ML. What are you doing um, relative to your team on ensuring that the the impact and what you're building from a technology perspective um, has a good outcome? Sure. So diversity in technology is not just this do-good feeling, something you do and you feel good about yourself. Um, diversity in technology, it's been proven that it builds better systems. And AI is a great example. I'm sure we've heard the stories about computer vision systems that couldn't even see African Americans, or the Google AI program that classified a few African Americans as gorillas instead of human. And that really speaks to the lack of diversity in the training data. And those flaws that made it to production could have been caught maybe during testing if the team were a diverse team, or maybe even avoided during development if we had a diverse team. So it's just really important when we look at building systems that we include all perspectives and we do our best to make the teams diverse because in the end you'll have better systems. Are there other uh, programs that you guys are leveraging, just AI being one example, but are there other things, that, uh, technologies that you're leveraging as a way to uh, eliminate bias? It's not a program per se, but I just want to share, um, in my previous experience as a federal contractor, for digital channels, we had to abide by something called Section 508 Accessibility Standards. And those standards can actually be applied to any digital channel in any industry. And I just want to share that's uh, something that we can all use as requirements for our digital products. Great. One, um, you know, we all see the studies that, you know, more inclusive teams drive better productivity, better customer experience. But I find when I talk to different um, groups that represent different isms, that sometimes people aren't able to bring their full selves to work, right? They, they, have, they believe that there are trade-offs. Can you talk about maybe your experience um, in any trade-offs that you've had to make um, based on some of the isms that you identify with? I'll start with you, Miles. I feel like, like I said previously, I think, feel like personally I probably have not had to make Mm -hmm. Too many trade-offs, to be honest, because I'm first of all, location is important, right? And living in Boston mm -hmm. is not somewhere that me in particular, um, my intersectional profile is is probably going to be, you know, um, run into issues. But that might be different somewhere else, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and I think that's in, that's kind of true of everything. I think there are, there are just places that tend to be more diverse and to be more accepting of diversity than others. And I think we see that a lot in America today, right? There's these places that are probably more homogenous or a little bit more scared of it than others. Yeah. So. I'll go down the line. Rupa, what about you? Yeah, so I think, you know, similar to what, um, you know, others have said, I've also not had, um, you know, too much of an experience 
um, facing isms really, um, except for um, having moved from you know a from the headquarters in India to a relatively smaller center in India. So there were a lot of apprehensions when I made that move uh, due to personal preferences. There were people in my friend circle who kind of advised me against it, saying this might impact the career. But then working for a firm like Accenture, where inclusion is at the heart of everything we do, I think um, you know I've not really had to trade off on career opportunities at all. Okay. So I think it starts young. Um, I'll share a sister, my, my, I have an older sister, and I'll share one of her experiences, which is when she was applying to college, she knew she wanted to study engineering, and her guidance counselor told her, well, that's not for women, you should study liberal arts. And no knock against liberal arts, it's a great, um, great thing, but for her to be told that, uh, I don't think that's right. And so I think I see a lot of hope now, and also in the next generation, because I look at my daughter, and I don't think any guidance counselor would would stop her from achieving her dreams no matter what field they may be in. Mm -hmm. So trade-offs, I'd like to say once you hit a certain age, like me, you stop caring what other people think about you. <laughs> but earlier in my career, you know, being African-American female in a male-dominated mm -hmm. industry, I was often the only one. And so I always felt like I needed to fit in. And so one way I would try to fit in, I would straighten my hair. So my natural hair is beautiful and wavy and curly, but I felt I needed to straighten my hair to just fit in. So that's a personal story. There's two isms that I've experienced in probably every day since I've been born, um, but I'm grateful for the experiences. Uh, one is ableism. Um, if you don't know what that is, uh, the disability community, um, they are automatically looked at as less because they um, aren't abled. Um, and then also the other ism is autism, uh, where the people base your status on your hearing level. So someone like me, I have no hearing, therefore my status is lower. Uh, these isms have allowed me to really learn how to work with the others and educate them. Ableism and autism don't just happen um, as I interact, but also within technology. Uh, the company I'm, I work with, our team works on sound uh, detection, which is a little ironic, but uh, uh, you know, there's no way for us to um, you know, know what an echo is or how, how are we supposed to interact with that. Um, and we've struggled a little bit in, in that area. And so we've had to develop software where we have some monitoring and, it, and we sign and it recognizes the word from our sign and changes it into a voice uh, which Alexa can detect, which is a lot of work. So uh, that kind of perspective we really need to kind of have. Um, that way we know how to better eliminate some isms within technology. Yeah, that's a great example. Are there other examples you guys are leveraging with technology? Uh, within your companies? Not too many? <laughs> okay. We, um, one of the areas that we've, I want to go back to recruiting that we've been focused on is trying to eliminate um, some of the biases that exist even in the, in the recruiting process. Um, I want to maybe stay on that a bit because so many of the diversity and inclusion strategies oftentimes fall in HR. Can you guys share your experience as leaders and individuals around you know, what you're doing to maybe move certain processes um, 
out of HR or educating different groups like HR who would normally own these teams? So there's, um, you know, gender tends to be, like everyone's uh, pointed out, gender sometimes is seen as too narrow a criteria, right, mm -hmm. for all of these. So there are other forms of diversity, but a different perspective is sometimes it could be too broad too, because um, there could be very focused groups of women that we want to still be focusing on, such as um, women that are going on maternity and returning back from maternity. Right, so I've had um, people in my own team, women in my own team that went on mat leave, and because cloud and AWS are areas that, that are ever-changing, by the time they return back to work, they have really a lot to cope up with and you know, to catch up on. So I think um, one of the areas we're really focusing on is how can we offer these people flexible modes of learning even before they come back from their mat leave so that they can leverage the time that they have in hand maybe while they're working from home, et cetera, to go through these um, you know, additional skills, to skill up on these, to get certified, et cetera. So that's one area where we've definitely moved up more than the HR, um, you know, just being at the HR uh, level or at the HR policy level. Got it. While I can't speak to HR specifically, I am aware of one thing in Capital One around our training programs mm -hmm. and extensive investment training um, for people of all backgrounds, non-technical or technical, in technical disciplines. And I think that's really helped in terms of diversity because we have people um, with backgrounds in all sorts of fields that are able to learn new technology, learn new skills, um, and put that uh, to bear. And that's important to have a diverse team with different perspectives. Yeah. Intersectionality is, while it's not a, a new term, there is a renewed focus in organizations. How are you bringing this, the notion of intersectionality to your teams today beyond um, common sort of diversity and inclusion? What are some of the things that you're able to share with the audience? So as an architect, uh, we often take a capability-based view to solving a problem. And when applied to a team, what it means is each team member has a set of capabilities, uh, some that are already fully developed that they bring, um, some that are potential future capabilities. And if you take that capability-based view um, to establish a team um, and form that team, what you'll find is you can really get to some creative problem solving because each team member is gonna bring a different perspective. Whereas if it's a very homogenous team with the same type of background, they're gonna apply the same type of thinking that they've done before. So it's better to have that more capability-centric view of the team. Okay. Keisha, what about from your perspective and how you uh, approach intersectionality to your teams? Because it's a new term for many people. Well, definitely it's a new term for me. Honestly, mm -hmm. I didn't even hear about the term yep. until this panel, and I had to research it, and I said, oh, so there's an official term <laughs> for some of the things I've experienced during my career. But just, again, just really trying to talk about it, mm -hmm. not make it the elephant in the room, and just whenever I have ideas on different things that we could do, different things that we can try, taking that to leadership and just talking through. Great. And Brandon? You know, my experience with intersectionality, uh, well, as a personal experience, uh, I worked uh, in clinical psychology before tech, and so I was able to empathize with that 
topic, but uh, with my company, I can't really speak much for HR, but uh, what I've noticed is that our company does invest in employees to attend conferences that focus on diversity and social justice. And uh, so my team uh, attends these uh, conferences. They're able to hear stories, have discussions, those direct conversations, which really help build their understanding, help build their capacity for empathy. They become better listeners. They're able to work better with HR. Um, and so that's a unique approach I've seen that has worked so, so far for us. Great. Are there things from the panel, are there things that you feel that uh, the industry is missing? And if so, what's one thing you would do to change? I think I'd second what Keisha said earlier, that um, you know, when it comes to intersectionality, especially when we talk about unintentional bias, mm -hmm. it's not always up to leadership or, or to HR to kind of eliminate this. I think the onus is also on people to speak up when they need to, to make sure you know, they're heard, and you know, if, if, if they feel they're being discriminated against, the person in front may not even be aware that something he has said or done may have um, had that uh, effect. So I think speaking up is one thing which we most definitely want to encourage more. Okay. I think society may view technology industry with a certain lens, and so each of us can work to change that lens. What Rupa just mentioned, I would like to add to that. Uh, you know, often we see diversity and we get scared of it. You know, we think it may cause some tension or misunderstanding. But we have to look at tension and misunderstanding as a good thing, because that eventually will be a good space where we can learn. Uh, you know, often we might have to say, I'm sorry, I didn't know that, as opposed to just escape it or drop it and not uh, deal with it. Tension helps us become better communicators and helps us build better coping skills. So thanks for sharing that, Rupa. Yeah, great. Um, so I feel like, you know, sort of back to the, the subject of companies trying to sort of fix a diversity problem after it already occurs, I think what companies can do better is care earlier, right? The earlier you start, the better it's gonna be, and the more you really build that culture, it's, it's just gonna make companies and the world a better place, I think, right? And I think that um, what I'd like to see is companies be more involved, sort of grassroots, at getting more um, diversity talent into the into the into the workplace, right? Not just sort of competing for who's out there, which I think is a little bit of what goes on now. Is everyone's trying to get diverse talent, and I've seen this a little bit. Um, but rather than just sort of, of of sort of trying to obtain the talent that's out there, is also help develop more talent. Yeah. One of the, uh, we were chatting about this uh, earlier, conferences like this, we try to ensure that we're, you know, making technology available to everyone. And uh, I think we'll likely continue to, to do that in some of the capabilities that we're building. We want to make sure we leave enough time for questions and answers from you. So I'd like to go down the line. Uh, if there's one thing that you would leave the audience with or a call to action, for there's people here that are technologists, that are leaders in the room, that want to make sure they're driving cultures of inclusion. What's one piece of advice that you would leave? 
I mean, I, I think it would be what I, what I just said is really, really care about it, educate your teams on it, and, and be transparent with your teams about it. You know, I, I've said to my teams at times like, hey, we, we need to work towards making this better and to my companies I've worked at. So I, I think just being vocal about it and, and communicating that it's important to you and it's beneficial to the company, I think, is, is important. I think tech for good is an area which every technologist and practitioner needs to think about um, because technology solutions can really make a difference. So the Sanketik solution that I spoke about is being showcased at our Accenture booth in reInvent. And that helps um, you know, people that are challenged with hearing um, to consume videos in, in, you know, in the same way that uh, normal people would. So I think technology solutions um, focused on these underrepresented sections of the society can go a long way in bridging these differences. And as I say that, you know, the gentleman who actually architected the solution is, is right here in the audience. So. <laughs> my, my advice would be to instill empathy in your interactions, and that goes beyond the workplace culture to everyday life. So for example, I used to get very upset when people cut me off in traffic, but now I use empathy and say, oh, maybe he really has to use the bathroom, and now I'm fine with it. So I would say diversity is not, like I said before, not just a do-good effort. In the end, we are in tech, and we're in tech to build systems. And as a leader, we can, we can build better systems by having diverse teams. And so. It's not just a do-good effort. There's real value to having diversity. Right. One thing I would like to leave is, you know, I notice often that companies don't take action because they don't know what to do. So education might be the first step. Uh, you know, if people don't know, go ahead and ask. Or, uh, you know, there, there aren't stupid questions. Uh, there are a lot of resources with intersectionality and diversity. Uh, you know, whether it's through universities or organizations, those are good spaces to ask your questions and really dig in. Don't feel guilty about not knowing everything and, you know, jump in and do it. Great. I think that's great advice. So uh, we want to, normally we run up on the panel, we don't leave enough time for actual questions. So we're trying to take your feedback and make sure that we leave enough time for questions from you to the panel. Uh, we have microphones with Sasha in the back. Um, any questions that you guys would like to ask? I've got no questions yet. You'll, oh, up front here, sorry. And I missed you, sir. Ken, we need a mic. <laughs> This isn't the part where it screeches really loud.
question for everyone. So I think the question is, has, has, has there been too much focus on diversity and has that like caused you to maybe exclude some candidates? My personal experience is, at the end of the day, I always try and hire the best person, but I really make an effort to make sure that there's diversity in the mix of candidates that we're looking at, right? So, um, but I think from my perspective, you know, if there's, if ever there's two completely equal people, I might lean toward the diversity candidate, but when are two people ever actually 100% equal? It's never, you know, it's always apples to oranges to some degree, right? There's always someone with a little bit better skill set or, or a personality fit for your culture. So that's sort of my viewpoint on it. I kind of agree to um, you know, to this point because I think um, you know when we talk of recruitment, when we talk of these numbers, I think gender gets talked about more than other forms of diversity because it's more striking to the eye, right? So if you have a group of 50 people, of which 48 are men and two are women, that immediately strikes the eye. Whereas other forms of diversity may not be so evident. So I think um, you know binding numbers to diversity may not work. Um, it's more the other way around where we say we do not exclude a candidate just because you know there there is a certain ism that's that's in our mind or a bias in our mind. So I think the best skills, the best fit is um, you know needs to be the underlying criteria. But then um, you know if there are two candidates and we only have a place for one, and if they are exactly similar, exactly identical in all of. Um, their skills, etc. So that is one, one, probably one scenario where we look at diversity as, as a tiebreaker. For me, I think diversity gives you more candidates. It increases your candidate pool because now people that may have been overlooked, they're allowed to be a part of the process. And so there is a big focus on diversity, but in tech we have a lot of unfilled jobs. And so if there's anything we can do to increase the candidate pool, I think it's very important to do that. Yeah. I think it also, just to add on to that, it's, I think because of the focus sometimes so much on, on women, um, in, in some companies, you also look at, you know, people of color, and there's all other, you know, communities as well. One that we also try to focus on is just looking at our military veteran population and bringing them back into the workforce. And so it, it's really about casting a much wider net um, it, beyond just kind of the, 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 gym, the gender. I think your comment around what you can see, that visual element is so important to that. You had a question, sir. Yes. So when we're looking at introducing new technologies and also dealing with um, a wide variety of people whose approach to learning may be cultural yes. changes, um, maybe changes that occurred in their careers over education, because we know our learning patterns change over time, and just the breadth of experience. Maybe people have joined the company in a particular role, and now it's, now it's being challenged. Is there ways that companies, uh, those of you working for companies, can feed back to us to tell us how to do it better? Yeah. To, that we don't just walk out of there going, yeah, they sure know about S3, but I'm not sure they're really going to make a good business decision based on that. Yeah. 
Any feedback for us on what we could do to improve our learning? I think people, uh, this is a general statement, but um, to the point of your question about how do we do better for training and all that, um, I think making it applicable and contextual to their situations and their problems really helps make that impact and helps them be able to make that decision. Just, just as a follow-up, when you make it applicable, it, it also means that the people who are making decisions to consume the training for the company have to work with us to tell us what do you need, because we have to. We don't know the context. We so if you could tell us the context beforehand, if you could work with us to say, here's, here's the focus, here's our, our population, here's our experience, we can make it work for you. One example that I heard before we get to the next question, just around learning, um, there are so many people at different stages of their cloud or just tech adoption. And one of the best practices I heard recently from a customer is how they use just building out Alexa skills because um, a lot of customers, individuals can relate to you know, Alexa and they use that as a starting point. Um, I'd love to, by the way, get Brandon's feedback on what we do, ideas around accessibility, but that is one area that I've heard um, significantly from customers on as one mechanism to get started. I saw another, okay, and one in the back. Um, so I wanted to ask, do the panel have any personal experiences with individuals who say they want to embrace change and embrace diversity, but their actions uh, are different? And if so, what did they do to address that? Well, I have a list, but I'm not on the panel. So <laughs> you guys, go ahead. <laughs> so I think it's an interesting question. Uh, just retates the question. Have you ever encountered individuals resistant to change, um, though they may uh, speak that they want to? Uh, I think getting humans to embrace change in general is actually quite a hard thing. And there's a lot of literature and talks around Agile and DevOps cultures in particular around how to use DevOps as a catalyst for change. Um, so I'll kind of rely on that. So from my personal experience of trying to influence other people to embrace the change that I may be advocating, um, some of the techniques I've used is one, understanding what their concerns are. Um, and it's harder if they can't state their concern. You have to do a bit more digging to understand their motivations. But that is really powerful because once you understand their concerns, then you can actually address them. And um, hopefully that leads to consensus. Other examples? No? I'll share mine offline. <laughs> yeah, the question in the back. Thank you. Um, kind of continuing with the theme of education. Um, so in tech, when you give someone feedback, say, about their methods or what they made, it can usually be a pretty clear cut. Oh, you did this thing wrong. You need to fix it. Okay, cool. Um, when you approach similar kind of conversations of, well, maybe you said something incorrectly or maybe you are showing that, um, that unconscious bias, it becomes a much more personal kind of talk and it becomes more of an emotional response usually. Um, how do you avoid that? I struggle with that a lot. <laughs> How do you avoid turning those kind of feedback discussions into an emotional discussion and more of a, I guess, a professional or a, um, a progressive kind of discussion? Great question. So in my previous experience, I had a situation where um, 
there was a gentleman who was just very friendly with his, uh, with his actions. He would hug people, um, but it would make others uncomfortable. So I had to have a conversation like that um, where I, was, I had to pull him aside and explain that that interaction, while maybe okay for him, um, was not okay in, in that workplace setting. And it was, it was difficult, but I think what helped is setting expectations for those types of conversations. So from the outset, in, in the role that I had, I was able to say, hey, I'm going to give you feedback on everything related to the workplace, not just career management, but also anything that will help you grow as an individual and be successful here. And by setting that expectation, it was much easier to be able to have candid, ex um, candid conversations. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of sort of private conversations with people when these situations have arisen as, as a, you know, a leader of teams. So I think part of it is just letting your team know they can come to you with these issues. And if these things arise, don't let them fester or talk to you about it. They can be transparent about it and then, you know, use it as a learning opportunity for the person who's sort of maybe making the, uh, bringing the concerns to you and also the person who maybe said the thing, you know, out of a place of just not maybe being fully versed on terminology or, or whatever the situation was. I think, um, you know, just, just a different perspective from my side. So speaking up takes a lot of courage. So when somebody decides to speak up, how do you put it in the right perspective um, also makes a lot of difference because what may appear wrong to you may be right to the other person. So I think um, there is an element of trust here as well. So, you know, probably best to start the speaking up with somebody you trust a lot, go to a sponsor or go to a you know counselor or a mentor and get them involved in the conversation to make sure, you know, even, even though you're conveying um, something that matters to you, even though you're taking the courage to speak up, you do it in the right perspective. And I think just having a pre-existing relationship with that person makes it easier to have that conversation. And for me, whenever I've had to have difficult conversations like that, I always start with just thinking the person always has the best intention, and they just may not be aware of, of what they're doing. Um, so that's how I handle it. Okay. Any other questions? I just will quickly answer yours, and, and then the, uh, we can wrap. But I think in order to be accountable for creating uh, a really strong tech culture. You've got to build uh, inclusion as part of your overall strategy in anything that you're doing. And one of the things that we've tried to do with our team is you know, we, we introduce different concepts. We run a lot of hackathons. We run a lot of what we call game days. In fact, we're running a robocar rally here at reInvent. And you'll be amazed by the level of um, interaction and collaboration that you get with all sorts of different diverse teams. And so what we try to do is when we build these teams to run hackathons or other events, we almost hand select and make it as inclusive as we possibly can. We don't always get it right, but we make an effort um, to drive exposure to those events um, to get a broader set of opinions. And normally when we get a broader set of opinions, it means that we're gonna be able, and at least in our world in architecture, support our customers better. 
And that's what we try to do um, just from a strategy a perspective. And we tried not to lean so much towards some of the, the number talk that I heard from the feedback and really just focus. Most technologists, we love solving problems and building really amazing things that have you know, good uh, social impact uh, for the world, most of us. And that's what we try to focus on. So any other uh, questions for the panel? Thank you. Please give them a round of applause. Thank you so much for your insight. This is great. The panel will be around for a few minutes if you'd like to meet them one-on-one. -on -one. And um, have a great time here at reInvent 2018. Hashtag WePowerTech. Great to see everybody. Thank you.